Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. There is a crispness in the air in Columbus, Ohio. Long sleeves, long sleeves, long sleeves. It is the Monday after Ohio State 35, Youngstown State 7. Andy Backstrom on the other side of me. Tim May on the other side of me. Uh, we're running three wide here on a Monday. It is going to be a fun show to break down Buckeyes and Penguins uh, before Ohio State takes on uh, Western Kentucky in this building behind me. Tim, we're not going to waste much time here. 40-year vet over here uh, has some thoughts. Big takeaway after the rewatch of Ohio State, Youngstown State. Uh, Cal McCork threw the ball with authority. That's the best word I've got for that Most on most occasions on Saturday. He looked much more comfortable, much better uh, much better fit for what his job was uh, the second time around than the first time around. I anticipated that based on who they were playing, which was Youngstown State, which had challenges in its secondary. Uh, why Ohio State did not score more points, that's uh, you know up to conjecture. Bottom line is, though, I think Ohio State has a guy at quarterback. They also have a guy, Devin Brown, who, who I even asked him after afterward, now he has some videotape of himself, some video of himself he can watch and get better from in an actual game where he's actually trying to do something other than hand off. And uh, that was major. And I thought he got more comfortable the more reps he got in that game. But I think coming out of that game, it's clear who their number one quarterback is at this juncture. Yeah, I think Kamakor definitely did enough. Uh, my takeaways on the defensive side of the ball, and I'm going to start with the linebackers. I thought that Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers have been super impressive the first two weeks of the season. Tommy Eichenberg's picked up right where he left off as an All-American, and I thought he was the most impressive defensive player on the field yesterday. Apparently, Ohio State did too because they crowned him their defensive player of the game. He had six tackles. He had that sack at the start of the second half, but he was really all over the place on the field yesterday. Uh, both in run defense and also in pass rushing attempts. And I think that we'll talk about this later in the show, but the defensive ends I think have been lacking in terms of that department. I know there's been a lot of quick passing and not as many opportunities, but Tommy Eichenberg had even fewer opportunities to rush the passer and was even more effective in those opportunities. Yeah, my big takeaway before we really kick things off is that Ohio Wait, State... Before we really kick things off, what are we doing right now? We're each giving one this big is, takeaway oh, and then we're going to... This is pregame calisthenics. Yeah, we're each giving one big takeaway, and then we're going to dive oh, into okay. the show. Okay. Uh, my big takeaway is that Ohio State left fewer points on the field uh, and scored more. Obviously, that's not uh, breaking any new ground, but they left so many points on the field against Indiana. I thought that the offense became Agreed. more more efficient, but still not efficient enough. But uh, you see some some real progress there when it comes to uh, 35 points. Easily should have been 42. I'm not really sure how holding on chip training gets called there other than the Youngstown State guy throwing his arm out to, to signal holding. Um, so I, I will chalk it up as a phantom 35 because it should have been 42. I'm getting so, blocked here. I'm getting blocked here. Yeah, yeah. Come, please call something. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, That's exactly what happened. I'm not, again, I keep saying it, but I'm not carrying water for this offense, but I also think that they're, they're getting better and they're improving and they're showing real progress here uh, in the build-up to week three uh, before you go to South Bend. Tim, uh, now we can dive in. Um, you talk about quarterbacks. I thought Kyle McCord's best two, 
throws came uh, on, t- on a touchdown throw to Marvin Harrison Jr. in the end zone and then across the middle to Marvin Harrison Jr. on a third and nine deep in his own territory. Yeah. Those throws were, were big time. They were, and, and they were also patient plays where he let the thing develop. Yeah. You know, and, uh, uh, but I'll tell you what, that first touchdown to Marvin Harrison Jr., we saw a very similar scenario at Indiana the week before when nobody covered Marvin Harrison Jr. on just a, a route up the seam when he came out of the, you know, the, the slot instead of where he was uh, on this one, which was split wide left with a Mechag Buka in the slot, I think. But this time, when the safety jumped the wrong way, Cal McCord saw it immediately and hit a mar- wide open Marvin Harrison Jr. So the, the thing you don't know and is never clear when you ask about it is, was there more leash given to Cal McCord to read the safety, which is basic football, and go where he doesn't go, you know? Or uh, did he just miss it, you know, at Indiana? You know, I and would, I don't know how you could have missed it at Indiana because uh, it was so obvious. But the point is, that to me is a sign of progress for Cal McCord and this offense. if Because they've got to get him by the time they get to Notre Dame, they've got to get him to where he's playing quarterback yeah. and letting it all hang out, so to speak. That was a great example right off the bat of letting it all hang out. Yeah, I would say but that throw to the end zone. That was that was a big time throw. I would err toward the latter as far as uh, does he not have the leash or did he not see it? I think I don't think he was seeing the field well against Indiana, and I thought he saw it a lot better against Youngstown State. And that's a confidence builder to know that you can see the field on an actual field in a game against other competition. Yeah, Andy, I, I, Kyle McCord's the starting quarterback at Ohio State. I, I wrote about that uh, Saturday right after the game. I don't know if Ryan Day will officially say that on Tuesday, but uh, for what it's worth, I just I, I think it's over. I agree with you. I do think it's interesting watching back the tape, though, because Ryan even mentioned in his post-game press conference, like there are things that you miss in the first start of a season that you then don't miss in the second start, and that's what Kyle McCord we saw. He was reading the field better. He wasn't missing guys streaking downfield open, like Tim just said. And Devin Brown was missing some of those things on Saturday. For instance, there was a play in the second quarter where he tried to fit a pass into Marvin Harrison Jr. that was too high. He, he, he couldn't come down with it. But then on the other side of the field, you had Julian Fleming beating press man coverage and was open down the field. It could have been a touchdown. Yeah. Now, Kyle McCord was missing those same things last week. I guess it kind of makes you wonder, well, if Devin Brown had another week, what would it look like? I ultimately think that maybe that's irrelevant. I kind of agree with Spencer, and I think Tim here, I think we do believe that Kyle has done enough at this point to be quarterback one. But it is interesting to think about, like, I think we were grading those two side by side because we finally got that side by side comparison. But even that was a little bit unfair because Devin really didn't get the week one that Kyle got. Right. So that's just something I noticed on rewatch that I didn't really think about as much yeah. while watching the game on Saturday. And there comes a moment in a season where you've kind of got to go with what you've got. You know what I mean? As right. the old saying goes. Uh, but I truly believe Devin Brown, more reps, is going to get better. I mean, you saw it in the game. You saw him get better. You saw him recognize some things. You also saw him do like uh, in Napoleon Dynamite a couple of times where it looked like he tried to throw the ball over the mountain. You know what I mean? And uh, just, just you know, just a couple times, just kind of uncork one. Uh, but uh, I thought he settled down as he got to play more. So, but like, like Spencer wrote about and is talking about right now, it looks like Cal McCord is the number one quarterback. And now you've got a guy who, behind him who has gotten some big time reps, is going to probably get some more this week based on how this game goes. If in fact the defense can somehow throttle uh, Western Kentucky's passing offense. Yeah, I, I, 
how do I say this? I thought Devin Brown got better as the game went on, but he still missed. I think the, the biggest like thing that pops into my head is the throw to Emeka Buka just on the crossing route, where there's nobody around Emeka Buka, and there was a relatively clean pocket, and it was behind Emeka. And I know that, yeah. that Kyle had a couple throws like that, but there were quite a few throws in that Indiana game that Kyle McCord did make, like like on the fourth down to G. Scott where he's open in the flat. Like Those are the kind of throws, and this crossing route to Mecca Book in the third quarter by, by Devin Brown, those are the kind of throws that even if you're not comfortable yet in a game, yeah. they have to be made. Those, those are the throws that I think those are the kind of decisions that you see when Ryan Day says, who's more consistent? I think that's where the consistency comes in because you know, maybe I'm being unfair, but I don't think Kyle McCord's missing that throw even in his first then, start. But then Kyle McCord, his last throw was a miss. Absolutely, you and know, that's little, what I was getting at. A little angle out to, uh, to Marvin Harrison Jr. right down there, and uh, and he was bummed out about that. Yeah. You know? Just like Marvin Harrison Jr. was bummed out about dropping that ball over the middle. You know, it was right in his hands uh, uh, earlier in the game. and uh, So, yeah, it all goes through. It kind of reminds me, uh, I when we sit here and parse actual passes, one right after the other, you know, it kind of reminds me of what I used to hate about Tim McCarver when he did uh, color commentary on baseball games. He would parse every pitch like, oh, my God, how can he throw it out? You know, and but the point is in football, missing a missing a pass is like missing a handoff. You understand what I'm saying? It is much more important, and you're, yeah. you're right to, to parse those things because that does separate you. When you do the play action is – as Ryan Day told us way back in the summer, when you get a play action fake and all of a sudden the guy is wide open, you got to hit that ball. You know, mm-hmm. you don't overthrow it and go, oh shoot, I'll get him next time. I mean, granted that happens, but you, but you can't have that on a repeated basis. And that's why you're always being judged on every move you make, every throw you make, whether you dodge the, the, uh, the pressure coming in on you, did you get outside, etc. And uh, so it's. You know, we're not nitpicking here. It, those games, those plays matter. Just ask Alabama. Yeah, I mean, noticeable improvement from Kyle McCord, especially down the field. He looked more comfortable in the second half against Indiana throwing the ball down the field, but sometimes that didn't match up with the numbers. The numbers definitely confirmed this week there was an improvement. I think he was 3 of 5 on passes traveling 20 or more yards downfield yeah. against Youngstown State and just looked more comfortable overall with throwing the ball and pushing it downfield. Uh, the last thing I'll say about Devin Brown really is that I guess at least you know that he has the talent to play yeah. here. And again, yes. they're playing Youngstown State, but that's not what I'm talking about. Like the kinds of throws he made, the wheel route throw to Mayan Williams, which was similar to the play we saw the week before that Kyle, McK- uh, Kyle McCourt made, that's an important throw you can make against any FBS team, regardless of the competition. The throw he had, his first completion to Julian Fleming, was from the right hash to the left boundary. Big and that time. was a big-time rope he threw. Yeah. Uh, the, the throw he had to Marvin Harrison Jr., I believe, would have been a touchdown had Marvin Harrison Jr. not been tackled. Yeah. And pass interference was not called, surprisingly, on that play. I think that would have been a touchdown. Now, was it the greatest ball? No, but it was there, and I think Marvin would have caught that. So I think that you see enough to know, okay, if there's more reps, if there's more consistency, maybe next year, maybe down the line, if he had to come in barring an injury, you know, something like that, he can do it which at least we didn't really know last week, and we kind of know now that he has it. You know how you know that was pass interference? It's because the side judge stood there, and he kept staring at the spot after the play. Because I was watching him, I'm going, you're not throwing the flag here. He kept staring at the spot, and basically playing the play over in his head, you know? 
and then it came too late for him to throw the flag. But he kept staring at where they landed and going, I'm thinking saying to himself, why didn't I throw that flag? Uh-oh, I'm not going to be in the college football playoff this year. <laughs> well, Ohio State is going to have to worry about not being in the college football playoff this year if its offensive line doesn't get its act together. Um, still a work in progress, uh, as you asked Ryan Day, and then I followed it up a few minutes later and asked him about linear progress and how you can take one step forward, two steps back, two steps forward, one step back. Um, it's not always going to be a straight line. Sometimes there's some zigzags there. And Andy, I, I noticed a lot of those zigzags uh, on Saturday. I thought, you know, just to, just to give you a little runway here, I thought Josh Simmons was better. Still not good enough. Two penalties are, are critical, uh, especially on a third and one where you make it third and 11, um, which I'm still scratching my head why Youngstown State didn't decline that and make it fourth and two, but whatever. Um, yeah. But Josh Simmons has a, a holding on that. He has a taking the helmet off inexplicably when he's doing a really nice job standing a, a defensive t- uh, defensive end up and then just throws his helmet off and gets a 15-yard penalty on a touchdown run by Travion Henderson. Sometimes you just do something. It just, like, it's so, I don't think it's bad. I think it's clunky still. And maybe that's the best way to describe the entire offensive line, but especially with the left tackle being so highlighted, I just think it's clunky. Yeah, one thing that Justin Fry has to be happy about, though, is on that play with the illegal hands to the face from, from Josh Simmons, he did bounce back a few plays later and actually paved the way for yeah. the Trayvon Henderson Washed touchdown. Down. Yeah. So he did right his wrong, and they did still score a touchdown on that drive. But, of course, that was a big penalty, which they ended up getting bailed out by a late hit penalty on that drive to keep it going for yeah. Devin Brown. Um, but I agree with you, up and down for him, especially in the run blocking department. Pass protection, they've actually been surprisingly – pretty solid so yeah. far, which I think we all thought they'd be struggling in pass protection more than they would be in run blocking. I think we thought that they'd be able to build some momentum in run blocking these first few games, and that has kind of been not the case. It's been struggling in that department, uh, especially in short yardage situations. We saw it against Indiana. They had seven third and short situations, only converted one of them, and of those seven, they tried to run it five times. So again, this They're past week, Again, they're trying to hammer that home because Ryan Day has said they can't rely on the pass too much. And again, it's, yeah, against Youngstown State, you can fail on third and one and then throw a touchdown to Emeka Buka on fourth and one. But that's not really always going to be the case against Penn State, Notre Dame, Michigan. You take your pick, even like a Wisconsin, or I don't know, any of these Big Ten teams really. Yeah. Um, even Indiana, you don't know. I mean, like, the competition is just a higher level. You can't bank on converting on fourth and one like that. So they're trying to get it on third and one in those situations, but it's too inconsistent right now. Yeah, I, uh, that, that one play you were talking about, that was the one they whiffed on. Uh, I'm talking about the running play where they folded down uh, the offensive line to the right, and then you had that little crackback block, which tight end missed at Indiana, didn't miss it on this one. It was, it was a nice play. And, uh, but the offensive line, you, it's what I thought the offensive line was ahead of the game on in the spring and even in preseason, the few times we got to watch them, was run blocking. And uh, but then when the other team is playing games with you up front, and you've got to you've got to learn not to chase this guy on a twist or a stunt and and get your next guy. I mean, there there still seems like there's some commu- communication gaps there on occasion, which kill you. Yes. You know, which cause you to have a penalty, which cause you to reach and grab. You know, instead of like block a guy, and that will—you got a feeling. You got a feeling based on the terse way uh, Ryan Day answered my question, and you came back with a 
uh, with that linear stuff, you know, that uh, higher brow Cadillac question uh, about the offensive line, uh, that he wants to get that fixed yesterday, yeah. you know. And so we're going to find out, I think this week, against Western Kentucky, which gave up almost 400 yards rushing to South Florida yes. in their first game, whether they fixed the rushing aspect of the blocking part of the offensive line play, which to me is rudimentary. It doesn't have to be perfect. I tried to throw a lot of big words in there at the end. It doesn't have to be perfect, Tim. Like, no, you just fire this, and hit somebody. No, that's not what I really mean either, though. Like, Trivion Henderson know, was hitting joking. holes, was hitting holes so hard on Saturday. Yeah. He was running, he would have ran through the concrete that makes up the horseshoe if they let him. You don't have to be completely perfect for six seconds and then finish a block with a pancake. You just got to be enough in somebody's way without get holding way. Yeah. that he is able to get through the line and make a linebacker miss because right. he was on Saturday. What and was, wait a minute, let me interrupt. And they were playing an FCS school, which I think is a really good team. Youngstown State is this year. I'm looking down there at those defensive linemen. They're playing their rear ends off. But Ohio State should have dominated that front. Yeah, absolutely. And but you don't, the the bottom line though for me is like you don't have to dominate every front you play. You just have to be good enough to give Trayvon Henderson a crease because the way that he ran against Indiana was not the same as he, way that he ran against on Saturday. I think he was uh, trusting his foot more. I think he was more comfortable. I think he wasn't so antsy of just being back on the football field. He looked like he was just chopping his feet too much, trying to make something happen against Indiana, and he looked like he had settled down and just was playing football against Youngstown State. Obviously, different competition levels, but this line, Andy, doesn't have to be perfect. It's really good in pass protection right now, I think. I think it's really good in pass protection for what we thought they would be right now. But it, it, it just needs to be good enough in the running game until it gels together, and then you can start to really dig in and see, okay, is it good enough to win the college football playoff? Right now, I think it needs to be good enough to get in people's way enough where Trayvon Henderson can find a crease. Right, and it brings up that interesting question that you brought up last week, like, do you use the pass to set up the run? Because right now, they're certainly more efficient throwing the ball than they are running the ball, but you know that Ryan Day wants to run the ball and get that down because later in the season, that's going to be pivotal in some of these marquee games. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think it was said by the Colorado players that transferred over from Jackson State, it might have been Travis Hunter, like the biggest difference between FCS and FBS, there's a lot of similarities with talented skill players here and there, great quarterbacks, wide receivers, cornerbacks, but it's the front. It's the defensive Always. line, the offensive line. That's where there's the big difference. And the defensive linemen just don't move as fast at that level in the FCS. Yeah. And I think that that's the big takeaway from this game is that, look, the fact that, you know, Cam Martinez is beat downfield, that was a bad look. But look, Youngstown State has some wide receivers. It yeah. has some skill talent. That's one thing. But to have inconsistencies up front on the offensive line against a defensive line that they don't have guys coming in at 300 pounds. Maybe they have guys coming in at 210. They have to develop them to 300. Right. Like, it's just a different level of talent. And to not be able to dominate is why there is still concern. And that concern was evident when we talked to Ryan Day after the game. You talk about the secondary uh, and getting beat. That's, that's okay against Youngstown State because you win 35-7. Uh, Newsflash, guys, there's an NFL wide receiver coming to town on Saturday. Malachi Corley, um, one of the best pass catchers in America, uh, was on a lot of Bolitnikoff Award ballots last year comes back with Austin Reed for this Western Kentucky team. Finally, we get to talk about this. Uh, fellas, the defense is in an interesting spot right now because 234 yards against Youngstown State is, I think, really good considering that you yes. spotted them 75 yards to open the game and then gave up. I'm not a math guy. Remember, 
Uh, not about that, 150. Yeah, about 150 yards the rest of the way. Uh, I, Roughly. I don't think that's a bad thing. You give 153 to Indiana. You gave up 234, but 75 on the first drive to Youngstown State. This defense is playing really well, but we still really don't know a lot about it because Indiana decided not to try to score, and Youngstown State just wasn't talent, talented enough to score enough points. And yep. so I don't – do we know what we're, what we're looking at here? Yet, no, too? we don't. I've, I've, I've said this all along. I mean, people paying, uh, playing along at home, uh, you know, congratulations. Bottom Thanks for playing. Is, Appreciate Thanks it. for playing. Uh, the, the first test of this defense is it fixed is coming Saturday. Western yep. Kentucky, Austin Reed, were led the nation in passing last year. I think I think Western Kentucky as a team did. I may be wrong about that, but the bottom, they were up in the elite top three. Uh, they're going to test this defense. Have you fixed your pass defense like everybody thinks you have? Is Denzel Burke, who I think is playing on another level compared to this time a year ago, just watching him. Just talking to him, the confidence he has. Jordan Hancock, underrated the way he played on Saturday. In the slot. The last two weeks, really. Uh, uh, we all, you all know my opinion of uh, Davison Igbenosin. I think he is a big-time pickup. Was a big-time pickup for this team. We'll get to him. From the first time I saw him. Bottom line is, are the safeties are the safeties up to the task? You know, Jihad Carter started, didn't start, but then played most of the game because Malik Hartford got his first start as a freshman and then disappeared uh, from from the playing field on Saturday. It was still didn't clear to me exactly what happened. Uh, Josh Proctor wasn't available. Jihad Carter played the entire game. I thought he played very well. I think you agree, right? Sonny Styles had to had to be taken from the field at one point because he made a mistake or something, and uh, but then got back out there. But and Lathan Ransom, of course, started and played. Uh, but that safety, they're going that safety. Uh, group is going to get tested on Saturday, unlike the first two weeks. Yeah, a couple things. Uh, safety is my biggest question for this week, especially free safety, as you mentioned, Tim. Josh Proctor not playing this week against Youngstown State. Will he be ready for Western Kentucky? That's something I'm definitely thinking about. And then if he's not, is Jahad Carter up to the task? I think he was pretty solid yesterday, or Saturday, rather, uh, against Youngstown State. But again, that's Youngstown State. Uh, how do you look against this Western Kentucky team? Um, he's also lucky he didn't get called for targeting there. Yeah. Uh, that's the second targeting or almost targeting call against Ohio State so far this season. The other one was Davison Ignosin, who's very physical, handsy. I think we all like that, the way he plays. I, I do think watching back these games, one thing I've noticed is that he's very good at keeping things in front of him, but he does not have the same like shutdown ability that Denzel has. So he's allowed like eight catches so far throughout the season on 12 targets opposed to two catches on 10 targets for Denzel Burke. So my question is against a more high-powered passing attack, is that going to be enough to just keep things in front of you? Or are you going to need a little bit more of actually getting pass breakups, disrupting more? Because right now, it's, he's very good at tackling. He's very good at getting guys to, get to the ground pretty quickly after they catch the ball. But I'm curious to see what it looks like against a better pass. But I would rather really have Davis and Egbenosin playing the way he's playing than I'm just, you know, mind tripping here, Cam Brown missing on the hitch route yep. and Michigan taking it to the house. Absolutely. The play that changed that game last year, you know, uh, sometimes you got to, uh, somebody just beats you on an out route by this much, let them go, you know what I mean, tackle them. And uh, I, that's what stood out to me with, except, with the exception of two plays in the first two first two games, the one that, that uh, uh, Indiana converted over the middle and the kid ran for a little ways, and then of course the when Cam Martinez let that the one out of the gate here the other day, 
No one in the first two games you have not given up a big play for a touchdown, which is huge. Big difference between giving up a big play and giving up a big play for a touchdown. So I, I like the way David Igbenosin is carrying himself. And I like you just said, Jordan Hancock, man, I think that's the trip on Saturday. We're going to see three corners on the field a lot. And maybe I'll go back to my original bold prediction again not this week. Not allowed. You're this not Austin allowed. Reed, though, guys, so so accurate. It's crazy. You can't make the same bold prediction three weeks in a row. You can't. My foot ditto, down. ditto, ditto. Uh, so to both of your points. Or ditto, ditto. To both of your points. Uh, once they put Jordan Hancock in the slot, it was over. Uh, obviously, slot fades are really hard to defend. Like, I could run a slot. F- uh, okay, sorry. No, you're right. A lot of people can it's run. You. A lot of people can run slot fades, and beat a safety from the slot to the back, to the outside and catch a pass. Like slot fades are one of the hardest routes in America to defend, and that's why Jackson Smith and Jigba was so good on it. That's why uh, a lot of teams who are overmatched on third and long resort to that play because it is not easy to defend. I'm not uh, excusing. It takes a hell of a pass. I'm not excusing what Kim Martinez did uh, because I, I don't think that that's a play that you want on film showing that if he's on the field, you can run a slot fade on him. Um, but uh, once they put Jordan Hancock in the slot uh, instead of Cameron Martinez, it was over. Jordan Hancock did a really nice job. I think you'll see more of him in the slot. On to the Davison Ignosin point. Yes, it's good to get guys on the ground and be tackling guys and let things go in front of you. But he has been targeted 12 times. That's a lot in two games, especially the new guy. Especially because it's one and a half games, really, because Indiana didn't wasn't interested in throwing the ball. He's been, he's, there have been eight catches against him for 74 yards. 26 of those are after the catch. Teams are getting very little after the catch. But it is apparent right now that teams believe they can throw on Davis and Igbenosin on third and three, on third and five, on third and seven. That's going to quickly become third and nine. That's going to become third and long. Teams are going to be targeting him. Sam Hartman is going to target Davis and Igbenosin. Western Kentucky is going to get Malachi Gorley on Davis and Igbenosin. He has to prove... I think he's playing well. I'm not saying he's not playing well at all, but I think he still has plenty to prove in the department of you You are very physical. You are a little handsy. Can you get your hand on the football the way that Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock are right now? And that's just a question that I have. Well, I, I'll tell you what. I'd much rather him be slightly conservative than over-aggressive. I, I mean, because yeah. that's where you get skinned. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's a valid point. Uh, as we move along here on the Monday after Ohio State 35, Youngstown State 7, uh, Andy Backstrom from Letterman Row raised a concern about the defensive line. So that's what we're going to talk about next. Um, you have the floor. Um, yeah. Well, I'll start by saying I thought the defensive interior was great. I thought that the rotation for the second week in a row was awesome. I thought that Tyreek Williams has been great these first two weeks of the season. Yep. There was concern by his endurance pretty much all of his career, how many mm-hmm. snaps he can play. He's been up there in most snaps on the defensive line back-to-back weeks. He had a great TFL in the first quarter that kind of got the defense going on his knees, mind you. Uh, yeah. It was really impressive. Mike Hall was great again. He looked um, like dwarf on football Yeah, for anybody who remembers that. I thought Mike Hall was really impressive again. Um, but that defensive end pairing of JT Tui Molowell and Jack Sawyer. Now, look, the caveat is, and I'm sure Spencer will talk about this, there have been a lot of quick passes. There weren't many passes to be thrown at Indiana. So, yes, there are fewer pass rushing attempts. But Mike Hall had 15 pass rushing attempts and two pressures caused against Youngstown State. 
Tommy Eikenberg had seven pass rushing attempts and two pressures caused He's against blitzing, Youngstown man. State. He and Steele were bringing it. Yeah, absolutely. And then combined, JT and Jack Sawyer had two pressures combined, the two of them, in 32 pass rushing attempts. So look, I know... Does that include that one where JT was right there? <laughs> that's been, that's been the case for all yeah. these games. He's right there, right? And I think at a certain point, look, they're five-star guys. They were top five recruits. And that's overall, okay? You just want more. There, you just want more. You yeah. want more disruption. We talked about that after the game. How many of those defensive plays that got the crowd going were there? Yeah. Like maybe exactly. two, three, four against yeah. an FCS team. And I think that starts up front with those two edge guys that are supposed to be first-round picks. Yeah. I, they, I, and the funny thing about it is, you know, and I'm, I'm guilty of this. I talked. I raved about Kenyatta Jackson through the spring, through preseason camp. Another defensive end who has yet to really, I mean, yeah, he got in there against Indiana a couple of times and stuff. Caden Curry also had, had a good day against Indiana. But we're talking about four defensive ends, highly rated, you know, and highly raved about, you know, by yours truly. And the, the production on the passing, causing havoc on passing downs thus far is woefully lacking. I mean, for, for one of another term. And uh, yeah, they're getting the ball out quick and things like that. And, and it's tougher, you know, definitely last week going against an Indiana team, which was running the option, that slows you down big time. It's not the same, but this week was more of a standard offense against YSU this past week. And we saw what you just ironed out. I mean, what you just laid out there. So. Yeah, that's a concern, in my opinion. Just some food for thought. Because I saw on uh, X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, the social medias. X. As, as the old folks call it, the social medias. Um, Space Coyote, who is a great film study Twitter guy. Uh, I give a lot of credit. I learn a lot from, from his film breakdowns. He has mentioned now that maybe, just maybe, this is Jim Knowles' defense at work, where... Defensive ends don't get the production. You look at Oklahoma State in his final year, a true freshman, Colin Oliver, who hasn't really done a lot at Oklahoma State since Jim Knowles left, played the jack role of a pseudo linebacker right. and had 11 sacks when the defensive ends didn't have many sacks at all. Then I flip on the film of this Youngstown State game, and I see a play where JT Tuimolo destroys the offensive tackle and is nowhere near the play because Tommy Eichenberg and Sonny Styles are side-by-side -side on the left side bull rushing and get to the quarterback and create a strip sack. These defensive right. these defensive ends, these defensive ends, they're not going to have 10 sacks in this defense. It's not going to happen. I have come to terms with that. I'm, I'm kind of uh, at ease with it at this point, just like, I'm <laughs> at, just like I'm at ease with the jack position not being real in this sort of defense. If, if JT Tuimolo is taking out a tackle yeah, and, Tommy I, and Tommy Eichenberg gets the sack, who cares? And so I'm not I want more production from the defensive ends. I truly do. I think game-changing defensive ends are, are why T.J. Watt uh, was the only thing that made me smile about the Steelers. Game yesterday, game-changing defensive ends are why Nick Bosa is paid more money than God uh, to rush the passer. However, if you're playing your assignment and you grade out as a champion yep. and you have no sacks because Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers total four while Mike Hall gets one too, I don't think it really matters. And, and so it's maybe, yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to tell Ohio State fans, you can't demand more from your defensive ends. That's not at all what I'm doing. Jack Sawyer and JT Tuomala, and I, 
I think Jack Sawyer especially right now. I think they need to be a little better. I think they need to level up. But I also think that they might, and I'm going to ask Jim Knowles about this if we get the chance this week, they might be doing what they're told. Right. And they might be playing their assignments because what JT Tuimolawa did to that poor Youngstown State tackle in helping Sonny Styles and Tommy Eikenberg get to the quarterback was special. And it doesn't show up on the stat sheet, but that play was special. And so I'm just asking. I'm just kind wondering. Of like, kind of like a blindside from the movie Blindside, except not a lot. from a defensive end's perspective. And it's not all made up. Exactly. <laughs> well, not all made. It's made for, you know, some, some, some characters composite. Uh, it looked like most of the movie was composite, but I digress. Uh, and the other thing is Larry Johnson pointed out quite, quite, quite clearly in preseason when we got to talk to him, he wants four guys going at it yep. every play. The credit goes to whoever, to the group, not to the individual. And you're exactly right. I mean, the only thing is people are out there and they're just thinking JT2 Molow should be going right around that Youngstown State tackle yeah. and making a sack in, you know, 1.6 seconds, you know, like Nick Bosa does or something. Or right, Jack Sawyer should be doing exactly the other thing. And so far we haven't seen really anything like that, you know. And that's where fans get, I don't know, flummoxed. Mm-hmm. Is that the word you used? Flummoxed? I've never used that uh, word. Okay. So maybe Andy Flabbergasted is my maybe word. Maybe Andy used it because his dad's a lawyer, uh, a litigator. <laughs> But uh, that's where fans are get a little frustrated, you know. If in, if in fact un- that's the right word, understandably right. so. Well, well, my favorite thing on Saturday was watching their their new Wall Street. They have two versions of it. One where you've got uh, three pass rushers in a game, and Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg behind them. And several times they brought all six, block somebody, and boom, the linebackers had penetration. Uh, or they had three guys in front of them and two linebackers, and they still brought it. And I thought that was a good mix of the way they mixed up their 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 pass rushing, because clearly they went into this game defensively to work on some things, yeah. not just to shut down Youngstown State. I thought it showed in that game. I thought it was also a little vanilla from time to time yeah, on it was, defense. It was a little base yeah. base e. And I don't think you'll be able to see that against Western because of the way they're going to throw the ball. Um, but you're still going to want to hide some stuff for Notre Dame. I did think the defense was a little base-y, if that's a word. You know, Andy Moore had a good anecdote on the pregame show I'm on uh, every week on 97-1. And uh, basically said when they played Bowling Green, I can't remember the season it was, but they had a bunch of new guys on defense. And against that, the first half of that game, all they ran was their base defense. That's all they ran. And it was more of, we think we can win this game. Let's go out and become a unit. Yeah. You know, play just pure base defense, and everybody take care of your responsibility from one play to the next, from one formation to the next. You just adjust and see how it goes. And that that's very important. You know, we talked about that against Indiana, the way this defense quickly adjusted. I thought this defense, with the, like you said, with the exception of one drive, and with the exception of one play in that one drive, played extremely well on Saturday. Before, Which it should against an FCS opponent. As much as I'd love to spend all day in this wonderful cathedral of football, uh, we got to get out of here. Before we do, though, uh, one thing I'm going to introduce to this show that we're going to do moving forward, Andy, uh, we watch a lot of college football, um, not Ohio State. I think you even watched like UMass week one, yeah. uh, just some sicko garbage. No, UMass you- against whom? New Mexico State. There you go. That's how sick that was. Yeah, some, some real <laughs> sickos uh, filling the blank there. there. Andy, 
I want, because I'm, I'm going to give Tim a chance to do what I know he's been itching to do all show. One big takeaway from college football, just around the college football world, that pertains maybe to Ohio State. Maybe it doesn't, but just that caught your eye on the Monday after college football, um, not just the Monday after Ohio State, Youngstown State. Oh, I have too many. I'll do, I'll do some quick, okay? First of all, Notre Dame is one of the, I would say, most physical teams in the country right now, number nine in the country, and they just beat up on NC State, and that offensive line and defensive line are definitely something to watch, and that's what I'm watching right now as that matchup's coming up in two weeks. Second, Wisconsin, who was my Big Ten West pick, already lost one game to Washington State, who's now ranked, by the way. Yeah. It's not a Washington yeah. State team yeah, to, it's a good team. you know, Keep them in the to power run five. down or anything like that. So I think that that's interesting too. Um, Ohio State has to go to Madison later this year to play Wisconsin. I do think the Big West champion is going to have more than one loss. So I don't think that's yeah. they're out of the running there. Uh, and then non Ohio State, I got to talk about <laughs> my Boston College, who played Holy Cross over the weekend and just barely won. There was a I think two hour lightning delay in that game. There was only two minutes left on the clock when the delay started. And in between the delay, you had student sections mooning each other in between. It was just a classic. Hodgings. A classic New England battle that probably was more entertaining in the 80s than it was on Saturday. But uh, Hold on a second. BC ended up winning. But, yeah, that, that's some football. Uh, Tim, it does pertain to Ohio State, though, because it's still Jeff Halfley's Boston College. Yes, but, uh, but what you found out was they were playing Holy Cross, right? And there was a lightning delay, right? And then Boston College eked out a victory. Divine intervention. Who is God rooting for? He's rooting for <laughs> Jeff Halfley and the fighting Halfleys. Uh, clearly, the most impressive thing I saw over the weekend, other than the way Colorado manhandled <coughs> uh, Nebraska, in my opinion, I thought that was that was more telling than the than the opening week. Although I don't think Nebraska, you know, is quite there yet with their transfer situation. Was Quinn Ewers? And Texas, you know, and of course now you got Ohio State fans going. That guy, that guy. Yeah, it's stupid. They should have played him instead of Kyle McCord when CJ, you know, whatever. I'm, you know, believe me, that ship sailed two years ago. That ship was already sailing when it was here, right? That ship <laughs> sailed before he showed up. Exactly. Uh, the bottom line is, you got who you got. Quinn Ewers, though, is the special talent that everybody thought he was. The way he just handled the pressure the other night. The way he was whipsawing some of those passes, a la Patrick Mahomes. I was, I was uh, uh, direct messaging with the guy I had on my, my Tim May show a couple years ago when Quinn Ewers showed up, Bobby Stroop, who helped bring along both Quinn Ewers and Patrick Mahomes from the same basic gym, uh, you know, or workout facility down in Texas. Helped tutor those guys, and yeah, he goes, this was totally expected. Uh, now he's got his chance. Feels a little bit of pressure from from Arch Manning. Uh, is he the third or is he just Archie Manning? He's just Arch Manning. Arch Manning. Uh, yeah, because he's not. Yeah. Anyway, bottom line is he stepped up big time and so did Texas. And what was very obvious in that game was what Urban Meyer has been saying. Uh, he caught, caught a lot of grief for it when he first said it back in May, but he said it a couple times on my show, Urban's Take with Tim May, is Texas is for real. They've got talent across the board. They went man-to-man against one of the scariest teams in college football from a talent standpoint and won the game handily. On the road. Uh, on the road, tough situations. Guys, it reminded me of when Texas came in here in 2005 with Vince Young and got that late drive and beat Ohio State, big showdown game here, and went on to win the national championship. Uh, 
very similar kind of feeling, I think, for Texas fans. Uh, they should be in a deja vu kind of feeling coming out of that game. Yeah, can you beat Iowa State on the road? Can you beat Oklahoma State? Can you beat uh, so that, so you're, you're Texas living Tech? You're living last year, man. You're living in the past. Well, it's a 15-year sample size that says, okay, you can get this impressive win. You got to go. You're living in the past. <clears throat> yeah, I'm just. I'm, if you live in the past, you're bound to repeat it. If they can do it, then that's fine. I'm just asking, can you still do it? Can you stay I don't focused? Know. We're gonna find out, right? Because they haven't played those games yet. I I know that. I'm I'm just asking, can you do that? Because now you have to stay focused, and a Texas this Texas program can't stay focused to save a life for the last 15 years. And so that's the big question now, um, yeah. which makes Ohio State's college football playoff life a living hell. You almost have to go undefeated or win the Big Ten right yeah. now to get into the college football playoff. That's the way it ought to be. Two big takeaways for me. I picked Oregon to make the playoff. That's still on schedule. They beat Texas Tech. That was a great road win for them. Yes. Um, and and, the, and there's some problems in Lubbock. They're 0-2, and they expected more this year. Uh, well, another, they're playing Oregon now. Yeah, they lost, a good game. They lost to Wyoming. And then uh, the other big takeaway for me is uh, Michigan can't run the football right now either. Um, yeah, isn't that crazy? And so uh, Dude, this, crazy. this offensive line thing for Ohio State, concerning, yes. Um, but no, you said it earlier. A lot of teams around the country are having trouble with their offensive line from a running game standpoint for whatever reason. But here's, here's the reason that I'm bringing this up is, and the run game looks really clunky, all that's to say is, Offensive lines take a little while to gel together to, to get that pot stirring, as Tim's doing right now. Um, so just watch that because I think that's very interesting that, that Michigan's having trouble running the ball with an offensive line that, according to some draft scouts, has like 31 offensive linemen who could get drafted. It's like absurd the way that they talk about that line. Yeah, self-inflicted, self-inflicted wounds, self-inflicted errors, though, would drive you crazy. I'm sure what drove has driven uh, – Ryan Day a little bit batty, you know. Okay, you whatever. Don't don't penalize yourself. You yeah. understand what I'm saying? That's the main. That's a discipline situation. And uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I mean it rough. Because you got who you got now. Yeah. Coach the hell out of. Yeah. Know, that's the point. It's just interesting that that Michigan's struggling to run the ball right now too with all yeah. of those backs that they have. Uh, just something to monitor as the Buckeyes and the Wolverines. You know, try to gel their offensive lines together almost in, you know, at the same time as they're coming in through these first couple games. Hey, can you uh, throw one other thing in there? Quickly. Very quickly. Might be the longest well, the show we've done. The most impressive thing, too, was the way Notre Dame sprinted on North Carolina State the last part of that game. I mean, yeah. took over the game, Sam Hartman, et cetera. I mean, that was, that's coming up in two weeks. Yeah, the uh, the pack have some issues as well. Uh, barely squeaked by UConn and then and then get dump trucked. Know, but I'm just get saying, dump trucked at home by Notre Dame. You're on the road, lightning yeah. delay, blah blah blah. Yeah, I'm I'm watching the, the pack right now because I, I don't I'm not really sure about that team right now. But we're not here to talk about the pack. We're here to talk about these Ohio State Buckeyes as they move to two and zero on the Monday after Ohio State thirty five, Youngstown State seven. Andy Backstrom will be covering the Buckeyes all week as he does all year for LettermanRoad.com. Tim May covering the Buckeyes all day, all week, like he does every single day at LettermanRow.com. I will be there as well. Come be a member right now. Uh, join the, the Letterman Row Club. Join the community. Uh, we're having a great time. I did a full film breakdown of the game. Uh, you know, we just did, I think, 55 minutes on Ohio State, Youngstown State. You're wow. not getting that coverage anywhere else uh, from anyone else. So come be a member today, $1 for one month. I promise you will not regret it. But for Tim May, the 40-year vet, for Andy Baxter, I'm going to head home and edit this thing up and get it online for all of you. We will see you inside Woody Hayes Athletic Center on Tuesday for Ryan Day Press Conference. Until then, have a good day.